In a few other videos, we introduced the integral approach to issues and saw that it involves a bringing together of some of the very most important truths that humanity has discovered so far. And these include truths such as waking up, growing up, cleaning up, opening up, and showing up. You can probably get a fairly decent idea of what those truths are just from their names. But one of the major points we were emphasizing is that when it comes to any important issue, the more of those approaches you use to address that issue, then the more satisfying the results will be. After all, if these are all truly important truths and ways to get at truth or discover truth, then the more of those that you can use on any given issue, the better the outcome will be. It will certainly be more comprehensive and inclusive and integrating. That certainly goes for one of those areas, the one we're calling growing up which simply refers to the levels or stages or ways that human beings go through as they grow and develop in any of their capacities or skills. You're not born with the capacity to perform heart surgery or play piano at Carnegie Hall or believing that it's a good thing to treat all people fairly, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. All of those capacities have to grow and develop. We saw that if we take the 100 or so most prevalent developmental models that exist today and do a meta-analysis on all of them, we'll find that on average, they maintain that the typical human being goes through around six to eight or so major stages of development from the time that it is born up to its elderly, most wise, most loving stances. These stages can also be condensed and summarized in various forms, such as moving from egocentric, caring only for myself, to ethnocentric, caring only for my own group or my own tribe, to modern world-centric, caring for all groups, wanting universal freedom for all individuals, to postmodern relativistic, wanting multicultural equality for all groups, to integral second tier, which can integrate, include, and embrace all of those. Basically, an overall movement from me to us, to all of us, to all beings. I'm simply suggesting that those types of developmental concerns really need to be included in any discussion of our present situation, including our culture wars, our political polarization, our shifting values. I'm definitely not saying that such developmental studies themselves will explain everything that's now going on. In fact, of the major factors that integral meta theory finds to be central, such as the factors we call quadrants, levels, lines, states, shadows, types. This developmental view only covers levels, or the growing up portion. It doesn't cover waking up, or cleaning up, or showing up, and so on. Yet growing up is a portion 
that almost always gets left out of the discussion. And the, some of the truly important reasons that we're going through many of our present difficulties are not even being recognized, let alone discussed. So I want to address that issue very briefly, especially as it appears in politics, and then point once again to the fact that it certainly seems as if we have a truly integral, second-tier consciousness coming our way. And thus, along with all the really bad news out there, that's some truly good news. In the meantime, society at large is indeed stuck with stages of development that are generally called first tier. A first tier stage is first tier because it thinks that its truth and values and its alone are genuinely real and true. Everybody else's are confused or just plain wrong. And then there's the jump to second tier which, as we saw a pioneering developmentalist, Claire Graves, called a monumental leap of meaning. Abraham Maslow called it a jump from deficiency needs to being needs. That sounds better, doesn't it? A second-tier stage can be aware of and include and integrate all of the earlier first-tier stages. So it becomes a truly inclusive, comprehensive, and integrated structure, the first of its kind in all of human history. We'll come back to that in a moment. In the meantime, if we acknowledge an overall eight or so major stages of development, notice the names that Claire Graves gave to the four highest and most recent stages that he discovered. He called them, respectively, absolutistic, that's amber ethnocentric, then multiplistic, that's orange modern, then relativistic, that's green postmodern, and then second tier systemic, that's turquoise integral. Those are pretty boring academic terms, but notice something here, which is really important. The absolutistic stage, that's the stage you've been calling ethnocentric, where a person cares not just for themselves, but for a whole group, but only its own special group. It doesn't really trust others or trust other groups or tribes, so it really is ethnocentric in a somewhat prejudiced way. This is the general stage that the brilliant developmentalist Gene Gepser called mythic, and that the pioneer researcher into spiritual stages of development, James Fowler, called mythic literal. Because at this stage, the person tends to think in mythic terms, and what's more, those myths are believed to be absolutely and unerringly true. So a committed Christian fundamentalist, for example, if they're at this basic stage, will believe that it really is true that Moses actually did part the Red Sea, that Lot's wife really was turned into a pillar of salt, that Christ really was born of a biological virgin, and so on. This is what Fowler meant by mythic literal. And this is why Graves called this stage 
absolutistic. There are clearly some major problems with the absolutistic stage, if left to its own devices. Now, you can get to this absolutistic stage in one of two basic ways. Everybody is born at square one, so you can be growing into this stage for the first time. It's simply your present natural stage. Or, even if you're at a higher stage and you hold on to any belief or idea with a ferocious absolutistic zeal, you can actually regress back to this absolutistic stage. Because this is where your absolutistic beliefs will simply feel the most at home. And notice that this stage is also ethnocentric, or favorite group loving stance. After all, your group, and your group alone, has the absolutely correct way to look at something. And so as you regress back to the stage's absolutistic nature, you'll tend to embrace its ethnocentric tribalism as well. Any sort of zealous fundamentalism tends to end up absolutistic. You can have a fundamentalist Marxism, or fundamentalist Maoism, or fundamentalist white supremacist, or fundamentalist feminist, and so on. All of which can tend to regress to this absolutistic stage. We'll see in a moment that there's something now being called the regressive left. That doesn't sound good, does it? If they really are regressing, this is one of the places they would likely end up. And this appears to be exactly what is happening. Back to our story. Graves called the next stage up, the orange rational modern stage, multiplistic. Because unlike its absolutistic predecessor, this stage realizes that there are other perspectives, other beliefs, other ways to view reality, including third-person science. And so it needs to take all of those adequately into account. It was because this stage was including so many other perspectives that it came to truly understand that slavery really was a bad way to treat another human being. And, as we previously pointed out, it was at that time in history, starting the latter part of the 18th century, that slavery was actually outlawed in every major rational industrial country on the planet. This really was the emergence of the first truly world-centric stages of awareness, to any really significant degree. Because this stage also involved the emergence on a fairly wide collective scale of what Piaget called formal operational cognition, or what most of us just call reason or rationality, this multiplistic era was what the Durants called the age of reason and revolution. It was the shift from what Gebser called mythic ways of knowing to more rational ways. And mythic religion began to give way to modern, rational science. This is not to imply, by the way, 
that this multiplistic stage was nothing but sweetness and light. In addition to many of the genuine virtues of the Western Enlightenment, a large number of scholars have written widely about what is often called the crime of the Enlightenment. And this has been interpreted in an almost limitless number of ways. This crime has been said to involve the Enlightenment being too abstract, too analytic, dissociated from the body, repressive of the feminine, dualistic, a disenchantment of the world, too masculine or patriarchal, capitalistically oppressive, environmentally disastrous. The list goes on. Even Jordan Peterson, who described himself as a traditional liberal, which had many of its roots in the Enlightenment, laments what the modern rational death of God currents did to previously existing mythic archetypal messages a lost Jordan believes we're still suffering. I have some degree of sympathy with virtually all of those criticisms. The point, rather, is that right now we're simply focusing on the good stuff that came with this stage, not the bad stuff. Every stage of human development ends up having both good and bad consequences. It's important to recognize both. And one of the things that we'll be pointing out is that the postmodern stage itself hasn't yet realized its own bad parts. Speaking very generally, this orange modern stage, which was the first widespread emergence of world-centric values, had a staggering impact on the course of cultural evolution worldwide. Among other things, it marked the emergence of a new type of political thinking, one that was called liberal. As we'll see, liberal was not, is not, the same thing as the left, not at all. But it did tend to start out that way. First of all, these newfangled liberals believed in the universal rights of individuals. It was no longer, for example, just your rights as a Christian. If you're a Christian and believe correctly, then you get to live for eternity in heaven next to God. And if you're not Christian, it's an eternity in hell. This is ethnocentric to the core. But these new liberals believed in equal rights for all people, regardless of belief or creed. The notion of truly universal rights for all people was relatively new with this modern world-centric stage. At first, of course, these rights were pride, applied primarily to those already in power, which at this time meant mostly white, able-bodied, property, cisgendered European males. But over time, these rights were applied to more and more and more people, to blacks, to women, to LGBTQ, to minorities in general, until, at least legally, individuals from all tribes, no matter what race or sex or color or gender they were, were included in this universal tent of freedom. This type of liberal orientation 
because it tended to emphasize individuals and the universal rights, tended to look down on things like monarchy and its autocracy, and instead opted for things like democracy and its individual rights, hence the American Revolution and a badly botched French attempt. But all of these things were related in part as expressions of this new, modern, world-centric, and rational stage of human evolution. It just so happened that in the French Assembly, these newfangled liberals sat in the left-hand seats, so they were often just called the left. Thus, liberal and the left originally meant essentially the same thing. Now, the more conservatively-minded of the time, who wanted as the name implies, to conserve present values, tended to support the monarchy and still fully accepted the mythic Christian faith. And in general, were in favor of conserving and protecting the existing traditional values. These conservatives happened to sit in the right-hand seats in the French Assembly, the liberals in the left-hand seats, and so these two political orientations, conservative versus progressive, traditional versus liberal, were known simply as the right and the left. Now that was the basic political situation for the next 200 years or so, until that is the 1960s, when a, a new stage of cultural evolution began to emerge in earnest, the green postmodern relativistic stage. And with that, all hell broke loose. First of all, Claire Graves, that pioneering and brilliant developmental researcher, indeed referred to this new stage as relativistic. So we see a very general movement from absolutistic to multiplistic to relativistic, or from amber traditional to orange modern to green postmodern. Each of those is adding new and wider perspectives, but those perspectives can't be fully integrated and unified until the leap to integral second tier. And that leap is what is standing on the other side of the culture wars. With postmodern relativistic, everything is fundamentally just a social construction. So truth changes from culture to culture to culture, which is why it's relativistic. As we'll see, in addition to some partial truths, it's very easy to push this idea to extremes where it becomes hugely self-contradictory and conflict-inducing, not to mention regressing to absolutistic forms. Another way to view this green stage is to look at the research of Michael Commons and Francis Richards. They found over a dozen or so major stages of overall development, and here's what they found about the four highest and most inclusive stages that they discovered. These four stages start with the orange, modern, world-centric stage, including PJ's formal operational, which can create universal systems based on reason and evidence, which is what all the modern sciences started doing 
whether it was modern chemistry, modern physics, modern astronomy, and so on. There isn't Christian chemistry and Hindu chemistry. There's just chemistry, a single universal system. Commons and Richard called the upper reaches of this capacity by the name systematic. And it is indeed the core of a type of rationality that dominated modernity itself and drove not only the emergence of the modern liberal orientation, but also the emergence of most of the modern sciences as well. The next stage Commons and Richards found is this more recent relativistic stage that emerged in the 60s and that we're calling green postmodern. Commons and Richards called it not systematic, but meta-systematic, because that's what it is. It's a meta-awareness of the previous systematic stage. Now, every stage takes a type of meta-position in relation to its previous stage. As well-known Harvard developmentalist Robert Keegan puts it, the subject of one stage of development becomes the object of the subject of the next stage. In other words, while you're at a particular stage of development, you can't see that stage because you are that stage. You're identified with it. You can't look at it because you're using it to look at the world. But as the next major stage emerges, you disidentify with the present stage and identify instead with a new stage. And then from that new and higher level, you can look back at this present stage, and now you can see it as an object. Now you can look at it instead of using it to look at the world. So if your present stage is systematic, then your new stage will be meta-systematic. And that's what this postmodern stage was doing, at least in part. This is one of the main reasons that it's referred to as postmodern in the first place. Compared to the modern stage, this stage was post or meta. So notice that the leading edge thinkers who are now at this green postmodern stage, now they can't see this stage, their own stage. They have no idea that they're operating at it. But individuals who have now moved into second-tier stages, including many intellectual dark web members, their subject can now see this postmodern stage as object. They can now see the contours of this green postmodern stage. And thus they can start to see its strengths, but also its limitations, its problems, its inadequacies. And they will have a very hard time conveying this information to those who are still at the stage itself. And indeed, they do have this problem, although it's not their fault. Another way to put this developmental point is that if we look at evolution or overall development on the whole, then we see a continuing process of differentiation and integration. We clearly see this with a fertile zygote, for example. 
it's a single cell that divides into two cells, then four cells, then those divide into eight, then 16, then 32, and so on. Clearly an increasing differentiation. And as that process of differentiation continues, those cells start integrating or organizing. They come together into tissue systems. Then those tissues are organized into functional organs. And all of those are integrated in the overall organism. Development itself is basically this process of differentiation and integration. The modern stage had differentiated and then integrated its previous stage. And then the postmodern stage began to do that with the modern stage itself. But this new postmodern stage wasn't yet cognitively sophisticated enough to fully integrate its differentiations. In other words, it was differentiating the systematic beliefs of modernity very well. This was, after all, a meta-systematic capacity. And it was furiously criticizing these modern systems. The problem is it couldn't yet really integrate them. It might compare and contrast them and certainly critique them and look at how one system compared with other systems. But in the final analysis, it still couldn't figure out how to pull them together in any sort of coherent and truly inclusive fashion. That integration would not actually happen, Commons and Richards found, and pretty much all other developmentalists agree. That integration doesn't effectively happen until the next stage, the integral stage, or second tier itself. So Commons and Richards called these second-tier stages by the terms paradigmatic and then cross-paradigmatic. Paradigmatic involves paradigms because those draw together relativistic parts into unified approaches that can actually accomplish something. And then even more unified second-tier stage they called cross-paradigmatic because it starts to look for ways to draw together and unify all the existing paradigms. Clearly, these are both incredibly integrating and holistic stages. In the meanwhile, the green postmodern stage was stuck with a mass of differentiated values and no way whatsoever to actually bring them together, to truly integrate them. This is exactly why Claire Graves would describe this stage as relativistic. It's all relative. Nothing is ultimately better or worse than anything else. This green postmodern stage ended up differentiating all of the universal value systems of the previous stage had created, including the universal value of individual rights and freedom, and instead replaced them with relativistic multicultural systems, with a resultant emphasis on things like identity politics. No culture anywhere is better or worse than any other culture. And the more diversity of cultures there are, the better. In this multicultural view, 
all values are absolutely egalitarian. They're all perfectly equal, or at least they're supposed to be. When that approach to values came crashing onto the scene, the stage was set for truly nasty culture wars.